I want to begin this afternoon with a story that I read from a book by R.C. Sproul on the person and work of the Holy Spirit. And he tells a story about um, a time when he was a professor in a seminary, and a young lady came to Dr. Sproul and said to him in somewhat of a distressed situation, I'm very upset, I'm very, I'm struggling as a young lady uh, because I'm about to graduate and I'm not married and I don't have a relationship with anyone. And she asked Dr. Sproul, would it be okay for me to pray that God would help me find a spouse or a mate? And um, he encouraged her and was thankful that she would be willing to pray in such a way uh, for God to provide that for her. Um, So all you young people today, nothing wrong with asking the Lord to guide you and direct you uh, to someone in the future, um, but for some of you, not right now. Um, But he concludes the story, and I want to just quote him. He says, after two weeks later, she came to see me again, and this time she was filled with joy and elation. She said, I've been praying for two weeks that God would give me a husband, and he answered my prayers. I said, R.C. Sproul says, you've met someone? She said, no, I haven't met him yet, but I know it will be shortly. You see, last night I lucky dipped. Now, Sproul says, I never had heard such a thing as lucky dipping, so I asked her what she meant. She said, well, I was praying, and I had my Bible in front of me, and I asked God whether he was going to provide me with a husband. I closed my eyes, opened my Bible at a random place, put my finger on the page, and when I opened my eyes, my finger was pointing to Zechariah 9.9, which says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. She says, that was God's answer to my prayer. The Spirit revealed to me that I was going to be married. Now I want to start off our time with, uh, together today to be encouraged in a couple ways from this story. Number one, because this young lady desired for the uh, Lord to direct her in her search for a husband. We have to celebrate that. We also have to celebrate the fact that she was willing to seek the Lord in prayer and go to God's Word to get wisdom and direction in such a way. The problem that I have with her method and how she, and, and, and R.C. Sproul goes through this, is her confusion about how the Holy Spirit works in the lives of believers. Uh, she used the Word of God and the, and, and the work of the Holy Spirit, I was trying to in this moment, to use it in such a way as if it was like uh, the Powerball or the lottery balls just popping up in a random order to provide the blessings that she wanted. Um, she clearly was hoping that God would uh, give her this answer by just randomly sticking her finger on a page of Scripture. I don't know if you were like me as a kid, but I used to do the whole like globe on your desk thing and you spin it and you stick your finger there and you're like, that's where I'm going to live one day. Anybody do that or was that just me? Okay, it's fine. You're just embarrassed. It's all right. So what we want to think about today is, is 
what, what is the, the method in which we understand the work of the Holy Spirit in relationship to the Word of God that's been given to us? Because that's what Paul is trying to help the Corinthians understand how the, the Holy Spirit works in conjunction with the Word of God. Because as he's told us, he's trying to help them understand that the true mystery of the gospel resides in understanding and comprehension by those who have the Holy Spirit. It's the Spirit of God that reveals the Word of God that helps us understand and comprehend. And so we've looked now for a few weeks at this passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 6 down to 16, watching Paul kind of build his argument as far as the, uh, one, the reception of the gospel of God's word. We looked at how people receive it, both those who receive it as mature and those who reject the message. And we kind of asked that question, well, why does that happen? And last week, I tried to give us a primer on the, the spirit of God so that we might understand more clearly in a very foundational level how the Holy Spirit works just in general how He exists as the third person of the Trinity, how He's invisible yet fully God working in our lives throughout all of history, but most particularly within us. And so today what we're going to focus on particularly is the meat of this passage, verses 12 through 16, how exactly has and does the Spirit of God work in the lives of believers so that they might understand this mysterious message that God has given us that we call His Word, or most particularly, the Gospel of Jesus Christ. So the title of my message in this part three of this little series is, Behold the Spirit's Work. Behold the Spirit's Work. I want to start off with a quote from Joel Beakey. He says, The reality of divine communication pervades and undergirds the entire Bible. This fact is all the more important when we remember that the God of the Bible is invisible in essence. Since we cannot see God, we must hear from Him if we are to know Him. The more than 800 repetitions of thus saith the Lord in the Bible gives us great assurance that the invisible God has made Himself known. As we come to understand and respect the Word of God and the work of the Holy Spirit in revealing the Word of God to us, we find great comfort in knowing that God communicates to man through the written Word of God. That we have it to, so that the Lord can guide us, so that we can be directed toward Him in relationship. And this is the, the focus that we are going to look at today in verses 12 down, really verses 10 down to verse 16. So as we begin today thinking about the Spirit's work in the world, particularly in regards to the work of God or the Word of God, let's first think about what we read about God. What we read about God. If you look back in verse 10, which I didn't spend a whole lot of time on last week, Paul says these words. Marion read this for us. He says, These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. 
Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. Now when you read scripture, particularly in the New Testament and in a lot of the letters, you oftentimes have to pay very close attention to the details. Okay? Because in this passage, Paul jumps back and forth in his pronoun usage referring to the work of the apostles and the Spirit and the work of the Spirit in the church as a whole. And we have to be very careful and very clear. What we have looked at from this point forward, or up until this point, is a general understanding of the Holy Spirit's work in the church. But what we're going to see today is how Paul narrows that focus down. Generally, the Holy Spirit working in all believers, but most particularly, how He worked in the, the apostles, in and through the apostles to bring us the Word of God. In other words, He defines for us the, the special revelation of God that has been given to us in the written Word of God. Or we would call that the inspiration of God. So like, in, for example, in verse 10, these things, he says, God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. Well, generally, these things God has revealed to all people that have the Spirit. They have this understanding, this revelation. But most particularly, Paul is talking about the divine revelation that God gave the, the, the apostles and the, the writers of the Old and New Testament through the power of the Spirit, whereby they were inspired to write the very deep theological truths about God. So in other words, you could read verse 10... In this way, these things God has revealed to us, Paul and the apostles, through the Spirit. That the inspiration of the Word of God is what we call that, is how these writers produce the words of God given to the church. And while we would say that God reveals or illuminates the Word as we read them, initially they were revealed to specific people throughout history so that we might possess the words of God for man. Similarly in verse 12, verse 12 reads, Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand these things freely given to us by God, and we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit. Well, who is he talking about there? Well, generally, all believers have received the word or the spirit of God, not the spirit of the world. We would make that acknowledgement. But most particularly, Paul is speaking of the apostles because as they received the spirit of God, God so used them to give them comprehension and they imparted the understanding of God and his word to us through divine inspiration. So therefore, Paul is doing what he has done now for an entire chapter. He is validating and authenticating his message that he has preached in comparison to the critics of his ministry. He's saying, look guys, I'm not out here preaching man's wisdom. 
I'm not, here, I'm not out here preaching just whatever feels good to me in my own uh, wisdom and, and my own um, uh, special words. He says, I am giving what the Spirit has given to me to say. And as we understand the Bible, this, this, this Word of God, this book that has transcended cultures and history and time, we must understand that it has been given to us by the Word of God, or by the Spirit of God, and it contains the very words of God for all people. Now, people will re- reject that. It will re- they will reject the message which we've looked at. And therefore, it falls upon some who think of it as foolishness, and then it falls on others who cherish it and love it. And so God has so brought about the deep things and the understanding of God so that we might understand the wisdom of Him. And He so inspired these holy men throughout history to write these words down. First, through verbal and audible transmission. We have a, a, a clear history that, that tells us that before things were written down, things were spoken, an oral tradition that passed throughout history. So that people were sharing from the generation to the generation the deep things of God, explaining to their children and their children's children what God had done and what God had said until finally these things were written down. And Peter gives us a good understanding, a kind of historical perspective in 1 Peter chapter 1, looking back to the prophets, he says, concerning the salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you. He's talking about the church. In the things that have now been announced to you, through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit, sent from heaven, into which angels long to look. Peter is saying that, for example, the prophets of the Old Testament, writers like Moses uh, the, the minor prophets, the major prophets, David, Solomon, these men that wrote oftentimes did not fully understand all that was to be promised and to be fulfilled, and yet directed by the Holy Spirit, wrote in their own style, in their own fashion, and yet wrote exactly as the Holy Spirit was guiding them and directing them to write. And so these prophets wrote these things down, And then, of course, they were promises, promises of God and and declarations of His glory and His majesty and His uh, grace and love for His people. All pointing forward to Jesus who is, as we know, not only the subject matter of all of Scripture, but literally the Bible calls Jesus the incarnate Word. He is the Word who became flesh. And Jesus is called the Word of God because as Wayne Grudem states, Jesus as God the Son in His person and as well as in His words 
was, has the role of communicating the character of God to us and expressing the will of God for us. Church, we have to understand that Jesus' words and Jesus' actions reflect the person of God. They were the very words of God spoken because He is God, second person of the Trinity in the flesh. And His life was recorded and documented by the Gospel writers. And eventually the apostles come along writing letters to the New Testament church, all under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And the summation of all these components, of all these books, and all these things written are consistent and they're valid, and they have authority, and they have clarity, and they all point forward and point backward to what God has done and what He is doing in Jesus. And this is the special revelation of God that was inspired by the Holy Spirit so that we might understand Him. I want you to consider a a diary or a journal that you might have or might, might have used in the past. And in that journal, in that diary, you engage in thoughtful reflection of your life. A recollection of the events that you've experienced. And that diary is written with your own hand, using your own words to describe the events and communicate your thoughts and feelings. And that diary is authenticated by the very penmanship that you write with. So that people could literally authenticate that diary as belonging to you based on the way in which you write every letter. And not only could it be authenticated by your penmanship, but by your vocabulary and your writing style. And its contents come from your mind and express your emotions, communicating intimate details about your life. And to read another person's diary reveals mysterious truths about something that has been previously undiscovered. And when we see the revealed Word of God and the story of God and all it's been given to us, we understand and know Him more in a way that we could not understand Him. And the comparison that Paul is making to the, the, the Corinthians is you are falling into this trap that man's wisdom can lead you to understand God when only truly the Holy Spirit leads us to understand God. Because He has divinely inspired the story that was written of Him so that we might know Him. And, and church, we have to understand that that story doesn't have to change. Because it's been divinely inspired by God through the writings of these holy men, through the penmanship of the Holy Spirit, in which it reveals the purposes and the plans of God, we have to understand that it's unchangeable. It needs no correction. It needs no alteration so that we can capitulate to the different scenarios of history. This Word of God was applicable in Rome and it was applicable in the early church. It was applicable in, 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 in the life of the, of, of, of the Jews. And it's applicable throughout history even today so that we can understand and, and know God as He communicates Himself to us. So whether it's through the prophets and the prophetic Word or the incarnate Word or the Gospel Word or the Word to the church, 
The inspiration of the Scriptures is for us to know. And I can't help but challenge you that in a culture where we live in, in, in this day and time, it's not a new temptation, it's not a, a, a new challenge for the church today, it's been a challenge throughout, is that Christians are constantly tempted to go to some other source for help in their life outside of the inspiration of the Word of God. As if there's some other revealed word for you out there that the Bible is not going to give you. And when you go to some other source finding some spiritual guidance and wisdom, you are declaring with your thoughts and your heart that the Bible is insufficient. That it's not worthy enough. It's not valuable enough. I have to use some appendix to the Bible to make God reveal Himself in a better way, a clearer way, and a more sufficient way. And folks, that is a lie from the devil. Because the Word of God is clear. It, is, it provides a clarity by the Holy Spirit. It doesn't mean that it's easy. Some of the Scripture is difficult. But to put our Bibles down and put our pens down and our study journals down and say, this is too difficult for me to understand. When you have a history of biblical resources, when you have a history of great theological teachers, when you have a staff of leadership in your church, when you have brothers and sisters in Christ who have lived their lives studying the Bible, we have no excuse to say we can't understand it. We have no excuse. Because the Holy Spirit has provided all these ways as the inspiring agent of God's communication to fallen man, we have what we need. Let me ask you to turn to Psalm 19. Hold your place there. Psalm 19, turning into the middle of your Bible. You cannot miss the book of Psalms. This is the Cliff Notes version of Psalm 119. You're welcome to read both at your own leisure. I'm going to read Psalm 19 verses 7 down to the end as a reflection of what God has provided for us in His Word by His Spirit. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter than also than honey, and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them there is great reward." Who can discern his errors? Declare me the innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over them. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. David makes clear in verses 7 down to verse 11. That it's the very Word of God, the very inspired Word of God, that meets our every need spiritually. 
It meets our every need. It drives us to understand Him, to grow in Him, to endure with Him. It helps us understand the the temptations of the world that we so are enticed to follow that provide and or fail to provide what we truly are seeking. But instead, they, they guide us and they direct us to Him in understanding Him more. Therefore, the sufficiency of the Scriptures that have been given to us by the Holy Spirit is a key doctrine of the church today, that a necessary doctrine. And let me tell you that that applies to every aspect of our lives. That the Word of God is helpful for you in your family conflict, in raising your children, in doing the best in your career, in choosing a career, in understanding the necessities of a godly life as a business owner, as a parent, as a teenager, as a grandparent, as a faithful member of God's church. God has given us what we need. And Paul doesn't stop there. But in reflecting on what God has provided him and the apostles that were divinely inspired, he says... In verse 13, and we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit. Paul says, I'm not gonna, I'm not guilty of, of taking the treasure and digging a hole and, and pounding that, that, that treasure down and covering it up and knowing exactly where that treasure is. He says, I'm sharing the treasure with everyone else. He's used this word in part in multiple places regarding his preaching. He says, yet in verse 6, yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom. He's referring to his preaching. He's referring to the proclamation by the very things which God had taught them, him and the apostles, that were written down for us for our instruction. He first proclaimed these truths. The very letter that we read in 1 Corinthians was first a letter sent to the churches. Not just the church in Corinth. History shows that these letters circulated. And that people would come and read these before the church because they weren't just instructions for Corinth. They were instructions for the church. And upon reading these, people were challenged and they were saved and convicted and edified and encouraged by the power of the Spirit. Therefore, God was glorified. And so the work of the Spirit for us is found and contained in first what we read about God. But secondly, what we understand about God. Because in verse 14, Paul kind of flips the script back to a general uh, zooming out view of, uh, of all people. And in the negative, he, he gives this statement that the fleshly person or the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God for they are folly to him and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. We could say then that The Bible teaches us that the Holy Spirit is not only the inspiring agent of God's revelation, but He is the illuminating agent of God's revelation. 
God revealing Himself, the truth of who He is, not only does He reveal Himself, therefore we find it in God's Word, but as we read God's Word, He shines a light upon the believer so that we might understand it. So therefore, hypothetically, the person described in verse 14, the natural person who does not accept the things of the Spirit, does not accept them because they reside in darkness. Matter of fact, R.C. Sproul writes, The Spirit acts as a searchlight and shines on the text of Scripture when we read it giving us the capacity to understand the meaning of it. When this happens, we see the truth of God intensely and sharply. He says every one of us who is a Christian has had this experience sometime in his or her life. We are reading from the Scriptures, and suddenly a particular truth seems to jump off the page and pierce our souls. This is the work, church, of illumination. And that illumination comes in an initial act which God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, applying the work of Christ, brings about conviction of sin in our lives. John told, uh, Jesus said in John chapter 16 that the Spirit will come and He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin because they do not believe in Me, Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. And concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. That illuminating work of the Holy Spirit, first coming at conviction of sin, when the intersection, like waves crashing on the shore, of the beauty of God's holiness and His truth, comes crashing against the depth of our own sin. The Holy Spirit is bringing about an illuminating effort by exposing our sin in light of the truth of God's Word. And as He exposed it and we began to see this violation against God's holiness, He moves beyond that in saving us to continual, a continual illuminating effect in our sanctification. So we have conviction, we understand the mystery of the gospel, who Jesus is, why He was crucified and died, why it's important that He rose again, how He's the only way, truth, and life. And then by there, the Holy Spirit saves us to trust in Jesus alone. But He doesn't stop there because day by day, as we mine the pages of Scripture to learn and grow, He is making us aware and understand all that God has revealed of Himself. And notice I didn't say He is helping us reveal all that God is. Because we don't know, even in the Scripture alone, all of God. It's impossible for us to comprehend the full understanding and nature of God. We only have what He has revealed about Himself through the Spirit in His Word. Only the Holy Spirit Himself knows the depths of God. We could not comprehend it in our finite being. But this illuminating work continues... It brings about great spiritual change. 
so that you and I have hope in the power of the Holy Spirit at work in us, that God is changing us. He's molding and shaping us. Sometimes it's discouraging at times because you don't feel day by day that God is changing you until you realize in a a long life of Christianity, looking back, you can always look back and see the change. You can always look back and see. Sometimes we grow in such despair of the temptations, we forget that we overcame the temptations, and those temptations were overcome by the Spirit of God living in us. So the work of God illuminates and shines the glory of the knowledge of God in the face of Jesus Christ, as it says in 2 Corinthians. I would encourage you to look at this passage, write it down, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 through 6. It's reflective very much of what Paul is saying in our verses today. It says, even if our gospel is veiled... It is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Notice there that in Paul, in 2 Corinthians, he's reflecting on how the permeating, uh, corrupting world and the evil that exists plays a part in blinding the minds of unbelievers. But in 1 Corinthians, in a concurrent way, he's also saying, and yet they don't believe because they don't have the Spirit of God to help them believe. Two different forces all working together. But he says, in continuing in verse 5, For what we proclaim is not of ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants, for Christ's sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Day by day, we are being transformed to understand the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ by the power of the Spirit in us. So you should not despair if you don't feel that you are a literate, knowledgeable person in biblical truth. Let me encourage you in your discouragement. Because there is always a process of growth and transformation that is happening that from the very moment you become a believer, you are growing in that knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And you will continue to grow as you seek the treasure of God's Word. As the Spirit illuminates the text for you, you will grow. And it's the only way you grow. Because a true believer in Jesus Christ will not just appreciate the Bible, they will treasure and cherish the Bible. And they will not just treasure it as an ornamental book on their shelf, they will treasure it for all the wisdom that it contains. And they will spend time devouring it. And so the Spirit will help you understand it. 
The Spirit will empower me and the elders of this church to help you learn more about God's Word. Your brothers and sisters in Christ who also have the Spirit will play a part in your spiritual growth and transformation. That's why we're called the church, the assembly of believers, because we all participate together. But we need to be careful. Because in our participation and cooperation with each other, let's not forget that it's only by the power of the Holy Spirit that we can grow, that we can be saved, that we can know and comprehend the Bible. It reminds me of a story recently that Amy and I have been uh, fascinated with. In 2018, the 13 boys that were trapped in a cave in Thailand... We watched a documentary about it. They just now came out with a movie about it. Thirteen boys trapped in a cave in Thailand. Rainwaters came in. The rainy season came early. The cave filled up with water. It took over a hundred scuba divers who were trained in par- particularly trained in cave diving to rescue these thirteen boys by sedating them, tying their hands behind their backs and their feet like pigs, putting apparatuses on their face and swimming them out one by one through this cave system. They were in there for 18 days. 18 days. And I could not help but think about how helpless they were. They had no skills or ability to dive into the water and swim their way out. Literally, the amount of water that was pouring into the cave caused such a current within the cave system that it, was, it, was, it, was, uh, it killed two of the divers trying to rescue the boys. That's how dangerous it was. That's how helpless they were. They were there by themselves with their coach, who looked like a boy portrayed in the movie, And they were there helpless, unable to to free themselves. And yet by God's mercy, one by one, they were retrieved and brought home to their families. All 13 boys lived, or all 13 people lived. They escaped the dark abyss of that cave. And I can only imagine the moment that's portrayed in the documentary, that's portrayed in the movie, where they're sitting there up on this elevated bank, Now for 18 days, and the first light shining from underneath the water comes forth, showing them that there's hope of rescue. That there's hope, that there's a a way of escape. There's a way to, to exit this cave, to survive this ordeal in their life. And folks, this is exactly what the Holy Spirit does in our salvation in illuminating the truth of the gospel in light of the darkness of our sin, showing us our need for Him. And He saves us by the power of this uh, work of Christ. It illuminates the Word to us so that we might grow in Christ until Christ returns. And so the Holy Spirit works in such a way that in ways in which we read the Word of God, in ways, in ways in which we understand the Word of God, and lastly, in ways that we are comforted by God and His Word. In ways that we are comforted. The Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit is a comforter. 
And I've never read these verses before until this week and understood them as a way in which God comforts us. In verse 15 it says, The spiritual person discerns or judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord as so to instruct Him, but we have the mind of Christ. The Spirit is not only the agent of inspiration and of illumination, but He's lastly the agent of identification. Because what the Spirit does is He reminds us, He gives us confidence and hope that we belong to God. By identifying whom we belong to. Paul is under great scrutiny and criticism by the critics of Corinth who have so demeaned his ministry. And he gives these comforting words for us as believers that the spiritual person discerns all things. Why? Because we have the Spirit of God helping us understand spiritual truths but is is himself to be judged by no one. What does he mean? Well, in relationship to the Christian, we stand in a world that is evil and corrupt. And what do we notice about the world around us? They love to criticize those who follow Christ. And they judge us. And they say, oh, you're reading that passage wrong and you don't understand Jesus was just a historical figure. Or you're disillusioned to the idea that Jesus is really just a myth in your own mind to make yourself comfortable and and, and feel better about yourself. Religion is a joke of the human psyche. And we come under great criticism ourselves. And Paul refutes that argument. By simply saying, what do these people who are not spiritual know about spiritual things? How do they understand the spiritual transformation of Christ? How can they judge you? How can they make such comments about you and I when they are not possessed by the Spirit of God? That's why they speak foolishness. That's why they look to the Word as foolishness, because they cannot discern spiritual things. But instead, as the Holy Spirit's work of identifying and comforting us as believers in Jesus Christ, He reminds us that we have assurance in Christ. That we belong to Him. And the Holy Spirit in His presence becomes evident in our lives as that mark of assurance. Let me say it this way. If you doubt that you belong to Jesus, if you doubt that Christ is truly your Lord, look for the evidence of the illuminating work of the Spirit in your life. If you look at the Word of God and are disinterested, if you look at the Word of God and you have no idea what's happening, then you probably don't belong to the Word of God or belong to Christ because the Word of God seems foolishness to you. It seems folly. It seems ridiculous. It seems like a joke. And many people in churches today are very much that way. They'll respect the Bible because people in their life loved it. They'll respect the Bible because it's part of their social acceptance, but they don't treasure it. 
And they don't treasure it because the Holy Spirit has not so transformed them in their salvation to love what the world hates. And the world hates the Word of God and the truth of God. And so the Holy Spirit identifies us as believers by reminding us that we belong to Him. And the evidence of that assurance comes in the fact that we see the Spirit working in our lives. Romans chapter 8. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. You received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. And the Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, and heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we might also be glorified with Him. Now church, I am a part of the generation of believers that for a long time struggled with my faith. And if somebody would just have explained this, or if I would have just listened to someone explain this in the way that I understand it and am explaining it to you now, I would have known far earlier in my life that I did not belong to Christ because there was no evidence of the Spirit's work in my life. And it wasn't until some amazing moment in college when I came to understand the process of sanctification whereby the Holy Spirit grows and grows and grows a believer, transforming Him day by day more and more into the image of His Son, that I looked back on my life and I didn't see any gradual growth, any slight incline of growth. I saw only decline. No evidence. And it was in those moments that I was saved. And for a generation of believers who struggle to know if they're saved or lost, let the evidence of the Holy Spirit give you hope or reveal your hopelessness. He illuminates God's Word. Do you understand His Word, friend? He exposes rebel thoughts and intentions of the heart toward God. Do you feel the sting of your unholiness in you? He opens your heart to savor and love Christ as Lord and King. Do you cherish Jesus? Because when the Spirit is at work in us, there is undeniable proof that God has done or is doing something transformative. And you can't see the Spirit at work outside of the fruit of His work. Because as we said, He is invisible. He is a Spirit. But in the same way you can't see the wind, and you can see the branches of the wind tossing and turning them, you can see the fruit of the work of the Spirit in you that will give you hope and confidence that you belong to God. So let Him instruct you. As He has inspired the Word of God, giving us knowledge of the depths of God, let Him illuminate that truth to us so that we might grow in Christ. And as we understand it and know it, let us do as Paul did and not treasure it and, and, and conceal it, but treasure it and teach it 
So that as Paul proclaimed the glorious truths, what we learn about the Bible, even its very small and minuscule forms, let us also make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe what I've commanded you. That's our role. That's our responsibility. To understand what God has illuminated to us by His Spirit and teach it to other people for God's glory in the world. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful for the work of the Holy Spirit that we can have the mind of Christ because the Spirit of Christ dwells within us. That we can understand by your grace and mercy things that are too complicated for us to understand in our natural state. You are a gracious and merciful God that we so can understand them and therefore also teach them to other people. We thank You for revealing to us our sin. We thank You for revealing to us the glorious message of the good news of Jesus Christ who has saved and redeemed those who were formerly in slavery to their sin and death. Thank You for reminding us and revealing to us the beauty of His resurrection, that because Christ rose from the grave, we have hope Victory in Him. And thank You, Father, that until Christ comes again, You are using Your Spirit to grow us day by day with the beautiful treasures of God's Word. Help us to love them, to grow in them, to allow them to change us. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.